magazine for our denomination, Direction magazine. This is uh, the April issue, and we have very special vested interests in this because my next article that I've done for the uh, denomination on the roots of spiritual decline is in here. So, uh, the roots of spiritual decline, and this is what they say, I say, turning up for church on Sunday isn't what Christian duty is about, says Colin Dye. Ah, yes. Well, there's an editorial interpretation. The full article will tell you how we should be facing full-on the spiritual decline in the nation, what we should do, how we should carry the goodness of God and the glory of God out into London. And then also, we have Bruce's new book, which is advertised also in Art Revival Times as well as Direction. It's time for you to live free from the law. And that book will be in next week. We'll be launching it next week, but you can start living free from the law today. But next week we have it, and it's going to be $12.99. It's produced by Paternoster Press. But we have organized a very special launch price. Very limited time. Now this is for real. Because it's a Paternoster book thing. We haven't got a lot of flexibility. But it will be £10 for you and you only. Physically, in this building, you, only you, nobody else but you, for a very limited time. So next Sunday, Bruce will be here signing the books. So get your copies. We're really, really thoroughly looking forward to that. Now we've had um, a tremendous week. Tremendous week for the city, for the nation, in many ways. Something good and something not so good. Would you like the good or the bad first? You want the good first, alright? The ugly can wait for next, next week. The good. Isn't it amazing how we have been called to prayer? Almost every radio and television bulletin over Fabrice Muamba. And I, you know, it's just amazing. Maybe it's the sports people. They, they get away with it. The sports personality. They don't worry about, you know, secular society or offending anybody. Oh, get on now. You've got to pray. Our prayers are with them. Let's pray. Come on, people, pray. And there are people, all faiths and no faiths, were calling people to pray. And I can't remember in all the 40 years that I've been in Great Britain that I have heard a week where we've been called to prayer more than through those sporting personalities. And God seems to be answering that prayer. So this is great news. That's wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. All right. What has not been so good is um, our good friend, Mr. Livingston. Yeah, Mr. Ken Livingston, mayoral, mayoral candidate. Now, we'll keep politics out of this, okay? But let me tell you, when he starts saying that he wants to make London a beacon for Islam, yeah, he does, we have to sit up and take notice. I mean, it is serious. Number one, he's crossed the line. Politicians have no right to interfere and tell people what they believe. Now, you know, to be fair, uh, it's, it's still crazy, but to be fair, what he's trying to say is, look, there's some good things in the Quran, and I like this particular thing, and everybody should hear about that. But he's approaching a religious text with a secular mindset and doesn't know what he's letting us in for. Because what he's actually advocated without him necessarily realizing it is that London should be Islamic and London should follow Sharia law. Uh, that's what he's saying because he has not the wisdom to understand that you can't pick a little phrase out of the Quran and, and without its whole context. And I am very, very upset and distressed about this. And so we, we, that's why we're praying. We're praying and communicating with his office. He needs to retract that stuff because I'll tell you, if he believes that he just can rely on the Muslim vote here in London and ignore what Christians believe, that man will have a big surprise on election day. Amen, amen and amen. All right. So you be careful who you vote for people who mess with our minds and with our beliefs in this kind of way and Kensington Temple is a gospel church we love God and we love the truth amen and we are not afraid to confront lies and error when we find it Katika Jinala Yesu don't look at me like that it's my African African blood coming out now Hallelujah. Okay, so I told you there were some good and bad, but anyway, we all hand it all to Jesus. So keep praying and be absolutely alert to all of that. Now then, 
I'd like to tell you about Tuesday. Last Tuesday, we were in King's Cross and we had a great time and there were a number of the 9 o'clock folk there. Anybody from the 11 o'clock service were with us uh, uh, in King's Cross? Okay. Now, this Tuesday, we are going to be in Stratford. And it's our Easter cell celebration and our build up to Easter. We are gathering outside of this building, choosing some prime venues and celebrating together. And I have a series of messages which are unfolding, strong prophetic messages, apostolic type messages for our city and for our lives. And we had a great time of celebration and a great time of ministry in the woods. Tuesday in uh, Stratford. So if you know Stratford Town Hall, the old town hall in Stratford, information's there for you in Revival Times, also on the screen it appears. So if you, particularly if you live in the area, uh, make your way on Tuesday night and we'll be there and we've got a great program lined up for you. But then a week on that Tuesday, following that Tuesday, which is the week, Tuesday of Easter week, we will be all together. Everybody say, all together. All together. All together now. Now, all together then on the Tuesday uh, at Westminster Chapel. That's St. James's Tube Station. Westminster Chapel. Uh, and they have a big building and we're going to pack it up. And we've got uh, a big program there for you. I'll be bringing my final message. And we'll also be presenting certificates to each of the new cell leaders. So it's a great celebration. Bring our network together. And the gospel will be preached. So bring friends, invite people. And let's have a really good time together. But I also want to share with you that in Easter week, we have... Uh, a, a rich program of evangelism on uh, Easter Friday, Good Friday. We have a, uh, a church service here with a communion service and Good Friday evening there is nothing officially scheduled in this building because we are wanting you on Good Friday evening to get out in London, go to a hotel special banqueting area, go to a restaurant, invite people in your house, share together the Lord's Supper, and we're going to give you some information that you can make a presentation, an Easter presentation to your friends. So that the, we will be meeting, but not here. We'll be meeting in the homes, in the cafes, in the streets, in the parks, wherever you have the ingenuity to meet and gather together with your friends, with your cell members. Uh, you can join yourselves together or whatever you want to do and so begin to think about that so it'll be a bit like a social evangelistic evening I asked the nine o'clock people to say come up with a word that combines social evening with evangelistic so evangelical socialistic I don't know what, 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 they, what they get but just the idea together social but with a strong evangelistic cutting edge and then on Easter Saturday, which is the 7th of April, we are starting uh, an Easter celebration. I'm talking about that in a minute. But it's going to be the first of a monthly program on Saturday night, a whole new program. And we have somebody who is going to be sharing us, with us about that now. His name is Ben. So would you welcome Ben to the platform, please? Hello. Hi, Ben. How are you? How are you? That's good, great. Good. That's Hello, kids at the temple, 11 o'clock service. You know, I've been on so many stages, but I've never been on here. This is amazing. Hello, everyone. But you know, you're, you're very lively, Ben. You know, Ben is a nine o'clocker. Yes, very much so. so. This is a little bit late for me, but nevertheless, I'm here. So. Well, what happened? You didn't put your clock forward, isn't it? So ah, right, this is just it. You, so. thought, you thought it was the nine o'clock, so I, know, I don't know. But some of you, I see some nine o'clock people here this morning, and a few late arrivals and wondering what's happened. The clocks have gone forward. You should have trusted your mobile phone. Okay. Well, uh, ben, uh, you have been um, a Christian now for how many years? Um, since 1991, I've been here in 1991, just sitting where that young lady is sitting in the old Barry Smith on stage. You came the... in the Barry Smith meeting? Yes, yes. Just over 20 years ago. How many were here? It's a couple. A couple of you. <laughs> I'm showing you my have, age, I think. You haven't changed a bit. <laughs> Barry Smith, and so you, uh, were you a believer in God all those years ago when you came to one of those meetings? Um, yeah, kind of. My parents were Christians. Um, so, you know, they used to tell me a lot about the Lord and stuff like that. And so, I, you know, Christianity was taken seriously in my household when I was younger. But I wouldn't say that 
I was personally a believer. It was just something my mum and dad did. So you hadn't really committed your life to no, Christ? No, no, not at all. Not and at all. Uh, you, you came to Christ from um, a media background. Tell us about that. Yes. Um, funnily enough, um, my dance choreographer at the time um, was a Christian, and he told me to come down to KT, and he said... Dance choreographer? Yes, well, I used to dance. I didn't <laughs> see you there in Covent Garden. Were you on the, <laughs> were you on the Royal Ballet stage? In, 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 well, not, not that kind of dancing, not ballet, but a bit of... Bit of moving like that, bit of jazz dancing. Oh, listen, I done listen, oh my leg! Listen. Oh, oh! I know, I know the feeling, Ben, and I've got a few more years on you. <laughs> so, but but also you were you were a musician, you were in various bands. Yeah, I'm a musician. I'm a singer-songwriter. Um, I was in entertainment. I had a dance choreographer uh, choreographing for me back in 1991. He told me to come and see a speaker that were, that was at Kensington Temple. Um, and I came down, I saw Barry Smith, I thought it was absolutely amazing, and, and the gospel made sense to me. I think sometimes in your life, you know, it's just that certain point where everything just drops into place and makes sense. God used that time, and I gave my life to Christ, and I've been a Christian ever since. Um, at first, when I gave my life to Christ, I thought that that would mean that I would have to leave the entertainment industry and stuff, and back then, you know, my mum and dad was always saying to me, oh, you know, it's the devil's industry, you've got to leave it, you've got to, you know, you know got to. well, not, it's quite, I, 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 I'm I African, in an African yeah. accent, it is the devil's industry, you have, you have to leave it all, yeah? <laughs> uh, anyway, um, but then, you know, um, as, as, as I started to walk with God, he showed me that that is where he had placed me, in the industry, and, um, he gave me a few tips about staying in the industry and stuff, and he said that, you know, eventually that he would begin to use me um, in the secular world. Right. So you, you had a, a, some degree of success uh, in, in that business. Tell us about it. Yeah, um, I was, I've been blessed enough to be in many, many bands. I was signed in a boy band in, in 1993, and we did quite well. And then in 1999, I was in another band. We went on to sell like five, six million records, um, three six, million singles. Which six is million really records. Good. So, yeah. Um, and I, I got, um, I mean, of course, I don't go back as long as that, you know. When I, um. <laughs> so tell us about some of your hit singles. Okay, I did this song, um, you will know this one. Hey, what's wrong with you? You're looking kind of down to me. Does oh, anyone know that one? I remember that one. Many, 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 12 years ago now, 20, 12 years ago. Wow. But yeah, no, that so was that was you? Yes. Wow. Yes. Hey. Hey. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet the man. Thank you very much. The man behind the voice. Oh, that's great. Yeah, no, um, and that, that particular song... Um, which is, you know, coming on to um, what we're going to be talking about. But that particular song was, was really... I didn't actually write that song. Um, and I was very, very ill when I recorded that song. And it was only years later when it became the most played record on the radio in uh, 1999. Mm. And I was listening to the radio once and it came on. And then the revelation of the song came to me. And uh, basically, when I recorded the song, I was ill. And the song is actually saying... So if you know the words of Turn Around, it's, Hey, what's wrong with you? You're looking kind of down to me. Things ain't getting over. Listen to what I say. It's got to turn around. And it was the Lord talking to me. Wow. Um, so, you know, at the time I was recording it, you know, you know God's always a step ahead. You're never at the same, same place as he is. And um, so God was saying to me, hey, what's wrong with you? You're looking down. It's not over yet. It's got to turn around. And it did. And it did. Very and that's much so. what you want to talk about. Now, you, you're married to Vanessa Feltz, who's yeah. well known on television and radio, a journalist and so yeah. forth. And you have a lot of contacts and you're still active in the business, in the, in the industry. And so we hit on an idea of once a month, you coming here on a Saturday night and having a kind of, in the format of a chat show kind of format, bringing some of your friends. So this program is going to be called Ben and Friends. Yes. And it starts on Easter Saturday, that's the 7th of April. Who's coming? All right. Um, well, this, this uh, the, the first one, uh, thank you for Katie for giving me my own show. So wow. <laughs> I'd love to say that. Thank you very much. Um, but uh, yeah, no, this is called Ben... Ben and Friends, and I think it's, it's really, really important because when I was uh, coming up in the media, I didn't really see any Christians um, in entertainment, and there are many famous people who are Christians, and the gospel has changed their lives, and sometimes they don't necessarily have the platform to talk about it, and sometimes they don't choose to talk about it, so I'm going to give them the platform, this platform right here, on um, the 7th of April, and my good friend who's in a band called Boyzone, I'm sure some people may have heard of Boyzone, it's a guy called Shane Lynch, and he came to know the Lord about eight years ago now and uh, yeah I'm going to be bringing him along and he's just going to be sharing his lifestyle his testimony and um, you know what brought him to Christ and uh, you know what he hopes to do in the future 
Right, well, we're going to be very cool and laid back about all of that from here, because, but there are so many people that you, you guys know out there who would want to come and hear this. It's unique. A guy who is well-known, tremendous success, who loves Jesus. He's not going to sing. He's going to no. talk about Jesus. Okay? So you bring your friends on Easter Saturday. It's, it is a major evangelistic thrust for Easter. So that's happening. And by the way, Ben is singing in Stratford on Tuesday night. Is yes. that right? Yeah, yeah, very much so. I'll, I'll, I'll come along and, and sing a couple of numbers. Do you know what I mean? So if anyone's there, no, please come along. Now I'm looking forward to it. Okay, great. great. Put your hands together. Thank you so much, Thank you. Ben. God bless you. So we're looking forward to Ben and Friends, which will be once a, a month on Saturday night as part of the All Nations Praise program, which is uh, hosted by KTPS, our School of Performing Arts. And uh, don't forget this Easter, it's going to be a great opportunity to share faith with people who don't know Jesus. Right now, I want to welcome all of those of you who are watching online and uh, the signal's up and running. So welcome to all of you. God bless you as we share together in the message and over the road also in the coronet. God bless you, Christian, and all those who are watching on our live link. Not forgetting also those who are meeting in different parts of this building. You're getting us by closed circuit television downstairs in the lower hall and behind me in the consolidation room. Let's give a welcome to everybody who's watching in those different parts. A warm welcome. <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, you know that on these Sunday mornings, I'm doing a series building up to Easter on life-saving truths. These are real life savers. And the image behind me is a picture of a helicopter that is zooming down to rescue people who are lost at sea. And I don't know if you think that's a very flattering image, but so many people today are lost at sea. They're tossed around by every wind of doctrine, by the tides of human opinion. But the gospel truths, the great gospel truths are like lifelines that you can get a hold of and pick yourself up and be lifted out of distress and difficulty. In the first message in this series, I spoke about the lifeline of being born again. Jesus said, you must be born again. No, you must be born again. An urgent message that unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. We spoke about that. What that meant, putting your faith and trust in Christ. And these are solid truths that we can rely on. Very simple and basic to many believers who've been on the road for a long, long time. But let me tell you, we need to keep coming back to the centrality of the things which are most surely believed amongst us. The second message went on to talk about Jesus as the Son of God. This doctrine shall continue to be, and increasingly so, to be a doctrine of controversy in today's world. We as Bible-believing Christians must know that Jesus Christ is not just a prophet, not just a moral teacher, not just a social worker or a Sunday school teacher. Jesus Christ is none other than the Son of the living God. And the only way to come to know the Father is through the Son. Jesus said, He that has seen me has seen the Father. He that has me has the Father. I am the way to the Father and no other way through me. And we looked at those claims and understood that Jesus verified his claims, not just by the miracles that he performed, but that he was raised again from the dead. Today we're going to come to the third great truth, life-saving truth, and it is this. The forgiveness of God... Forgiveness of sin. And I want to turn you to Mark chapter 2, a story from the Gospels, which has this as its central theme. Mark 2, verses 1 to 12. And again, he, that is Jesus, entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately, many gathered together, so there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Then they came to him bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they'd broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. 
And some of the scribes who were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins on the earth, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Amen. Immediately he arose, took up his bed, and went out in the presence of them all, so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. The forgiveness of sins is not an easy thing. It was God's best gift. And it cost Him everything. As we're building up to Easter, we shall countless times again remember that it was through the death and resurrection of Jesus, God's only Son, that we can stand here today washed and cleansed and purified because it is the blood of Jesus that washes and cleanses from every sin. Now I expected a good 11 o'clock hallelujah amen at that point. Oh, that's a very polite one. Amen. Okay. Good best gift. Now one of the reasons that does still not make as much impact even on us as believers as it should is the watering down and dilution of the seriousness of sin in our way of looking at things. Way back in 1973, a psychiatrist by the name of Carl Menninger wrote a book entitled, Whatever Happened to Sin? And as a psychiatrist, he was increasingly disturbed how that the caring profession, psychology, psy psychiatry, were far more treating symptoms rather than the condition. And he was understanding that you, you can treat people as biological machines, you can treat people as a bunch of chemicals, you can talk about the psychological issues going on in their life, but unless you deal with them as a whole person, spirit, soul and body, you're not really ministering to them, not really helping them. And while Carl Menninger never ever accepted the Bible view of sin or of God, he understood from a psychological point of view how damaging it is when people refuse to accept responsibility for their wrongdoing. But he writes this about sin. He says the very word sin, which seems to have disappeared, was once a proud word. It was once a strong word, an ominous and serious word, but then it went away. It has almost disappeared along with the notion. Why, he asks. Doesn't anybody sin anymore? Doesn't anybody believe in sin? And at the time, he reinforced his observations by noting something quite remarkable. Each year in the United States of America, the president makes a presidential proclamation announcing the annual National Day of Prayer. And he noticed that uh, up to a certain point in history, in that proclamation, the word sin featured prominently. And that goes back to 1863, when Abraham Lincoln first called for a national day of prayer, and he used the word sin. And Carl Menager discovered that the last time that was used in the presidential proclamation was 1953 by President Eisenhower. And so he said 1953 was the year that sin died in, in America. It happens to be the year that I was born. So when I was born, sin died. That's why they called me Colin Die. No doubt <laughs> at all about that. But Carl Manager raises a very serious point. He says, when no one is responsible, no one is guilty. And there are no moral questions asked. When we follow that route, and he's speaking virtually as a, as a secular psychiatrist, he says, the whole of our society sinks into despairing helplessness. Larry Crabb, another Christian psychologist, says, doing away with responsibility, and you do away with guilt. Do away with guilt and sin no longer exists. And with the removal of sin, 
the cross becomes just the death of a martyr, not the basis for redemption. Now the truth is, whatever you think about those observations, it is a current trend in our society in a, at every single level that we blame everybody else but ourselves. We blame our background or our foreground. We blame our environment or we blame our genes. We blame, blame our upbringing. Uh, we blame our needs. We blame our society. We blame our parents. We blame our school teachers. We blame our bankers. We blame our politicians. And we blame our pastors. We blame absolutely everybody except ourselves. And when we refuse to acknowledge responsibility, do you know we are dying to the dignity that God has given to us? I know very few things that dignify a human being more than the ability to acknowledge their responsibility. Yes, I did that. Yes, I shouldn't have done that. Accepting responsibility for your actions is vitally important for your dignity as a human being. And if we do away with sin, do away with guilt, we've done away with the greatest revelation that God could ever have given to us. And that's the revelation of His grace and of His forgiveness. I have a theory, test it out for yourselves, but the people who are frightened of talking about sin and calling sin, sin, are those people who have absolutely no answer to it. But we have an answer. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses from every sin. The blood of Jesus Christ can go deeper into the conscious and subconscious and sub-subconscious areas of the human personality and cleanse out the darkest stain. It can cleanse out the most polluting influence. Thank God we should stand up and shout about and praise God for the cleansing of the blood of Jesus. Amen and amen and amen. I have been in Christian ministry for 35 years. That's if you include the first two years when I was working in drug rehabilitation. It was a ministerial position. We were ministering to people. It was run on Christian lines. And I was given the incredible privilege and responsibility of interviewing every person who wanted to come in and spend time in our center. It was a drug rehabilitation center. It was a structured program, stage one, stage two, stage three. We had a 70% success rate. It was really wonderful. Part of that was discipline and the structure we imposed as well as also leading people to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And in the beginning, it took me a little while to catch on to this, but I was after a while well trained in it and became quite adept at it. One of the most important questions that you need to ask when somebody is coming for help is, are they truly motivated to change? And because if people are really motivated to change, well you need to be. If you're suffering from any addiction today, it could be a drug addiction, alcohol addiction, tobacco addiction, sex addiction, gambling addiction. The very first thing you need to know is do you really, really want to change? That's the first thing, motivation. And the second thing closely associated with that is do you accept responsibility for who you are now? And where you are now, you are the product of your own choices. Absolutely everything about your life is determined by the choices you have made. And you say, no, that's not fair. You don't know what's happened to me. You don't know what I've been through. If you have been through what I've been through, you would be like me, possibly. But I would be where you are for the same reason you are where you are. And that is not what has happened to me, but how I have chosen to respond and to act and react towards what's happening to me. So I'd have these guys lined up and, you know, to begin with, it was hard going. You know, well, what, how, you, tell me about your life. Oh, it was terrible. You know, I got married to this woman. She turned out to be real. You know, they weren't sanctified. They used all kinds of words. And so, spare your blushes. Uh, and then, oh, and, oh, but she wasn't as bad as her mother. The mother was, so it was the wife, the mother-in-law. And before that was the mother, the father. Then it was the brother, the sister. Then it was the police officer. Then it was this person. Then it was that person. And after a while, I cottoned on to this. I said, I know what the answer is. Do you know what? I can understand. Absolutely no problem with you. You are perfect. The problem is with all these people. Let's bring them here, fix them, and you will automatically be okay. Of course, that is terrible. It doesn't give any hope at all. See, if the problem is you, 
then you can do something about it. It gives hope. But if the problem is somebody else, you've got to go and change the whole world. You've got to go and change the whole society before anything can happen to you. But God's way is no. That's God's way is I accept my responsibility. I accept that what I have done. And I say, God against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. And when we stand before God, He says, now I can help you. Because the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, did not come to call those people who had no problems or those people who were not sick spiritually or those people who were not sinners. He did not call, come to call the righteous but the unrighteous and sinners to repentance. Are there any former sinners in the house? You better acknowledge that the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Stark realization came apparently one day to a man whom we've never met but we read his Psalms. In Psalm 130 verse 3, it was as if this guy was having a bad day. I don't know what he had done. I don't know what was plaguing his conscience. I don't know what was keeping me awake at night. All we know is the, the question that he had in his mind. Psalm 130 verse 3, he says, If you, O Lord, should keep a record of sins, if you should mark iniquities, who could stand? Let's just pause. Pause right there. What a thought. If God, the holy God, the God who is not just the lawgiver, but He is the moral governor, He is the judge of all the earth. If that God, the all holy God, the righteous God, if He kept a record of our sins, we are done for. It's game over already. Amen. And you know what? He does. He does. He can't ignore sin. You know, it's just like, you know, you can chuck litter, you'll get fined for it. You can chuck litter, somebody's got to clean it up. Isn't that right? Somebody's got to clean it up. You might be at home, just drink a couple of cups of tea, shove it in the sink. Somebody's got to clean it up. And if it's not you, you're expecting somebody else to do it. This universe is a mess. Somebody's got to clean it up. I heard on the radio this morning of how even out of space people are worried about what's going to hit them up there, all the debris up there. There is no place in heaven and earth that's not free from mess. And somebody's got to clean it up and we're not going to clean it up. We haven't the capacity. But there will come a day when God will collect all the rubbish in this universe, put it together and dispose of it forever. That's called judgment day. And that is not just fair. It is right. It is good. It is just. Amen. So, what if, what if our lives are kind of caught up in that kind of rubbish. Well, where the rubbish goes, we go. Oh, and God does keep a record of sins. And this society, this generation has got to understand it. We can't simply do away with the concept of sin because we think we've come of age and say, we don't have to believe in God anymore. We know how to put man on the moon. You know how to put man on the moon and bring him back again and do all kinds of amazing things. But you have not got one idea how to solve one problem of humanity at depth. There has never been any answer for the problems of the human heart. And the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. The Bible says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? People of God. We are not frightened. Why can I speak so boldly and brashly about this? Today, without any fear whatsoever, without any sense of embarrassment, I tell you because I've got good news. I can speak about sin because I have the answer to it. Amen and amen. You would have no fear of a disease, no matter how deadly it might be, if you knew that there was an infallible cure waiting for you as soon as you had the diagnosis. And that's exactly what I'm telling you today. There is a cure to sin. There is an answer to the sin problem. There is an answer to the human heart. There is an answer to that tendency that we have, which we don't succeed in dealing with, which is to turn our back upon God and live life 
life our own way. But we know that we can stand before the living God today, not in our own righteousness, but having been washed and cleansed by the blood of Jesus, given free access into the very presence of the Holy God who created us and who loved us enough to send Jesus for us. Give him a mighty praise in this place today. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Praise God! I'm so happy. I'm so excited today. I've been loving this series of thinking about stuff which we pray about, sing about, uh, uh, and just take for granted every day of our Christian lives. And yet, it is so amazing. What an amazing miracle that love reached, reached down to me. That love picked me up. Found me. Not only found me where I was, but came to where I was. And uh, we know that we have a high priest who cannot... Who, who, who is not who has been tempted in all points like as we are and and we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses but was tempted in all points even as we are yet without sin now therefore we can come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in time of need hallelujah praise god praise god hebrews chapter 4 Verses 15 and 16 I just quoted to you. Praise God. How wonderful. Who wouldn't want to be a preacher when you've got this just amazing message to preach and proclaim? So let's get into it. All right. Here we have a story from the Gospels. There's so much food here. So much uh, to affirm us and what we seek to do here in Kensington Temple. First thing I want you to understand is where Jesus is, people also gather. Where Jesus is, people gather. Where Colin Dye is, people, no, 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 no. Where you, no, but where Jesus is. And Jesus was in a home. Remember, most of Jesus' miracles were not done in the synagogue stroke church kind of setup. They were done in the marketplace. In the open air, in the fields, and in homes. This why, that's why in this church we expect great things to happen. Not only when we gather together in a church building as we do today. But when we gather together in our places of work, our places of our college, places of education, in our houses and homes, it is time you introduce Jesus into your house. And that's your family, your familial, your day-to-day -day life. Because if you allow Jesus to manifest there, something is going to happen. People are going to be drawn to hear Jesus. And this message of forgiveness is the most important message that can ever be heard. You know, there was a story of people who were discussing various different religions. There were the religionists and the philosophers and all together they were saying, what is it that is particularly unique about the Christian religion? And they, they had all kinds of ideas. They were talking about the Christian religion and the, all this kind of stuff. You know, they might have been blah, 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 blah. And then uh, they couldn't put their finger on it. And one man came in. And he said, I know what it is. And he wrote on the whatever what I had to write, a chart board or whatever, marker board. The blood of Jesus, God's Son, cleanses from every sin. The blood of Jesus, God's Son, cleanses from every sin. Next week I'll be explaining more about that. But first of all, it talks about blood. And you say, Ugh. If we wanted blood, we'd go to the butchers. And I don't even eat uh, Yorkshire. I don't even eat black pudding. I'll tell you something. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Because it's not the blood, it's the sacrifice that was made. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ. His death was no ordinary death. It wasn't just because the Romans hated him or the Jewish leaders uh, didn't want him around. It wasn't because of that. He was made sin for, for us, he who knew no sin, that we, he was made a sin offering for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus took our place on the cross. He took the punishment that was due to us. His blood was a sacrificial offering to God. He did it voluntarily. That's why the cross of Jesus Christ is not some kind of Add on to the Christian faith. It's absolutely basic and fundamental. No cross, no life, no life. And we are lost forever. The blood of Jesus, Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son. 
That blood was not just the blood of an animal, like an animal sacrifice, nor was it just like the blood of a human being. It was God Himself manifested in the flesh. That's why one drop of the blood of Jesus extinguishes the fires of judgment forever and ever and ever. Oh, the precious blood of Jesus, which has never lost its power. I'm here to tell you today that the blood of Jesus Christ has just as much power for you. You might not see it. You may not discern it. But it exists. And the very moment you call upon God to save you, the blood of Jesus washes you from every sin. Past, present, and future. Give Jesus a mighty praise. Hallelujah. That's why you need to bring Christ not just into your life, but into your home. Our cell uh, strategy is not just about cell groups meeting in homes, about cafes, nandos, pandos, every other place you can imagine. That's, but it's about letting people know that Jesus is in the house. Jesus is in the house. And people gathered together and Jesus spoke the word. Meanwhile, as the crowds were there, no room to stand, no room to sit, no room even to watch from the doorway. Four men who loved their friends. A paralyzed man. That's what it's saying because when you talk about paralytic today, you know, it's the kind of thing that makes the government want to levy more tax on alcohol. I'm not talking about that kind of paralytic. I'm talking about somebody who is physically paralyzed. He had to be carried in. And he had four friends who cared for him. We have our own stretcher rescue service in this church. We call it our friendship evangelism of three where we, two or three of us, get together and we are so burdened. We so want people to hear the message. We know we cannot take the Bible, even in the form of an iPad computer, and shove it down people's throats. We, we have not got some kind of Bluetooth wireless connection between hearing people's brains. Press the button and everybody says, oh, now I'll be a Christian. No, they have to hear the message. They have to understand it. And we can't do it. We can't do it, we can share, but we are so dependent on God to do the work. Because this isn't about human choices and decisions and persuasion. This is about the power of God touching people's lives. And so we pray and pray and pray, but we do more than pray. We carry those people to a place where they can hear Jesus for themselves. Oh, praise God. Oh, people of God, 11 o'clock service, will you stir up your compassion? Your friends who don't know Christ, if they die in their sins, they are lost forever. They are lost forever. And if that is not true, then the gospel is not true. And Jesus is nothing that he claimed to be. But Jesus is everything that he claimed to be. Not only did he die for our sins publicly, the whole world could understand that. He also was raised from the dead publicly. This was a public act. I think I have an article in the Revival Times on not done in a corner. Read it to see that what we're talking about is not just some nice ideas or some theories somewhere uh, in a corner. This, these things happen publicly. These are realities. And we want the world to know. Stir it up, people of God. The worst thing we can do as believers is keep this to ourselves. Don't ram it down people's throats. Not at all. You can't. If you, uh, if you stood up in the office tomorrow morning and started preaching like this, they would carry you away to the funny farm and I would personally accompany you. All right? No, 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 no. This is a preaching style because we have a bunch of people here and this is what it's about. But you've got to communicate the truth. Show them by your love. Show them by your life and carry them. Wherever they're aching or in pain or in difficulty, wherever their doubts are, or even their obnoxious elements. Anybody got any friends who are obnoxious sometimes? Or do you just say, you're obnoxious, they don't know you. Or do we love people anyway? Do we love people no matter how obnoxious they are? I'm going to ask you a question. Are we so holy? So you, you work in the media. You have an earring through your ear. We just about tolerate that. But when you put it in your nose, we think, no man, no way, no way. People of God, we need again to learn what it is to love and care. Uh, you guys are so quiet. You know why you're quiet? Because you're not doing this. That's why. Because you're not doing it. What we have here is conviction. People of God, what does it take to stir us up? We tell you a story. Uh, a young guy who used to be in Bible school here, left more than 10 years ago, went out planting churches, Swedish guy. And he had a friend from his home church 
who is a lovely believer, a guy who's uh, actually the youth leader in his home church in Sweden, who's paralyzed from the waist down. And uh, he has never been healed. Now, we know that Jesus does remarkable, miraculous healings, and that much we understand. That's not a surprise. We understand that. What we don't understand is why not everybody is healed. Uh, and don't say, oh, it's because they've got sin and unbelief. You don't know the guy I'm talking about. Wonderful, Christian, spirit-filled believer. But his younger friend, who was the student here, uh, was so compassionate and so wanted his friend to be healed. And so when one of the healing revivalists came to Sweden, uh, they, they, they booked their, their place and to come and go, and they were stuck way at the back, and when it's time for people to be prayed for, everybody flopped forward, the good, the bad, and the ugly. They all came forward, and there was no room. Uh, but, and certainly no room for the wheelchair. It must have been in the days before, you know, all of these rules about how you've got to take care of people. Anyway, so our friend just picked him up and pushed his way to the front and brought him right to the front. And the guy was saying, oh, it's okay, don't, don't worry about it. No, don't, please don't worry about it. He was so embarrassed, put him to the front. And the evangelist prayed for him. Nothing happened. Nothing happened. But I tell you that story because this man had compassion. He had a lot of enthusiasm, but also compassion. Behind his, I suppose, slight foolish kind of thing, I don't know how you would judge that, but, you know, there's compassion. Have you lost compassion? What are you doing for your friends? What are you doing for your friends? Are you really, really going out of your way to talk to God about them and to reach them genuinely? Genuinely, because you love them, because you care for them. If you don't do that, then you don't believe what I'm saying. Because there's no way you can keep this to yourself if you know it to be true. Come on, people of God. I got you this morning. I don't mean to make you feel bad. I want a breakthrough here. And that's exactly what happened to this man. These people, they were persistent. They said, oh, we got too late. We forgot to put our clocks forward and everybody else is here. They didn't do that. Let's go home. It's too late. No problem. They said, no, we, we came to meet Jesus. We came to bring this man to, into the presence of Jesus. And we will do it. So they used their logic. Door closed. Place full. Never mind. We'll go through the roof. Now, is that logical to you? That's not a British way of doing things, is it? Sorry, 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 chap. You'll have to come back another time. What do we do about it? No, no. These people would not be put off. And they persisted and persisted until they climbed the roof and opened up the roof and had, as the Bible says, a breakthrough. A breakthrough. If you persist, you will have a breakthrough. Don't ever give up on anybody. God never gave up on you. Amen and amen. There will be a breakthrough. Because the message is so urgent. There's a lifeline that we have to throw to people who are drowning and perishing. All these are images of our spiritual condition without Christ. And the lifeline message is there is forgiveness. Therefore you are feared, O oh God. There is forgiveness with you. That's the second part of Psalm 130 verse 3 that I didn't quote earlier. That's the message. There is forgiveness. Hallelujah. There is a way for man to rise to that sublime abode. There's an offering and a sacrifice and a Holy Spirit's energies to draw us to Christ. Oh, people of God, the love of God constrains me today. I'm almost beside myself to seek to communicate this to you today. And they brought him down. The next thing we learn is that faith provokes divine action. Did you notice that? The Bible says when Jesus saw their faith. Whose faith? The faith of those four. When he saw their faith, he looked at this man and said, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now I ask you, would that have happened if these men had not had faith. Would it have happened? They wouldn't have even brought him. So faith provokes divine action. Now I want to tell you, I don't understand this. 
So I'm just going to plead ignorance today. And if anybody else says they understand it, either they're being simplistic, stupid, or lying to you. Because we know that God takes His own initiative. We love Him because He first loved us. Who sent the Son into the world? God. Did we ask Him? Did we say, God send your Son? We had no idea. We didn't even care. We were happy to go on living in our sin. But divine love always takes the initiative. God always takes the initiative. Therefore, I don't fully understand it, but it's here in Scripture. And I know it to be true. You can provoke divine activity. You can provoke divine initiative by your faith. Don't ever give up, people of God. Don't give up praying. Don't give up believing. Don't give up pressing through. God will not turn away a person who is exercising faith in His Word and His character. Amen and amen. And the Word of God is Jesus saves. And the character of God is love and compassion. You know, we talk about provoking God to anger. Let me tell you how hard it is to provoke God to anger. That will happen. But He delays it, delays it, delays it, delays it till He can delay it no longer. But in the meantime, He is pouring out His love. He's pouring out His compassion. He's pouring out His mercy. He's pouring out His grace. He gives the blustering atheist who blasphemes His name the very breath by which He does it. And saying, oh, I'm giving you breath. Maybe next time you will confess my name maybe next time you'll come to your senses maybe next time you'll understand that you're on the wrong track it is the goodness and kindness of God that we are here God is so merciful and he he will respond God is not some transcendental metaphysical iceberg far removed from reality he is a God of passion, compassion, and feeling. He is the all-living, ever-giving, all-loving, forgiving God. Hallelujah. And He will respond. Just you turn to Him in one second and say, God, I need you. I don't understand this, but I need you. God, I need you. God, I need you. He will answer that prayer. He is near to the brokenhearted. He is near to all who call upon Him. Whoever, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen and amen. And what action was this? Not what they were expecting. They thought, we got him. We got the master's attention. Your moment has arrived. This is the day of your miracle, bro. Get ready. You're going to walk again. And Jesus said, son, here comes your miracle. Your sins are forgiven. What? I came to be healed. Look at my body. Huh? And you talk about religious mumbo-jumbo. I want something practical. Amazing, isn't it? We have two reactions here. It's not in the text, but you can imagine it's very clear. It's just very clear that they didn't get what they asked for. Or what they expected, first of all. I reckon Jesus said two things. Number one, I want you to know, wait till the end of the story. This is only chapter two. You don't know how it ends. That's what I tell you. Keep, keep believing. Number two, I want to tell you that I have just given this man the greatest miracle of all. The greatest miracle of all is not physical healing. And when we think how desperate it is to be involved in chronic, terminal or permanent illness, just imagine how amazing it is. Listen, you may be paralyzed from the waist down. But with your sins forgiven, you are whole on the inside. And the message of the gospel is, you know, healing is just a foretaste pointing towards an event that has already begun to happen. It's called resurrection. Jesus was the first fruits and we are the full harvest. And there is coming a day where not only will our spirit and soul will be redeemed, but our very body will be redeemed. Then every one of you will be slim if that's what you wish to be. Every one of you will have high cheekbones if that's what you wish to be. Now, I don't know. I don't know about God's cosmetic surgery. But I do know this, that the life in the body shall continue in the resurrection. And we, at the very least, no tears. Our tears will be wiped away. There'll be no more pain, no more suffering. This is the resurrection hope of believers. It's not yet our experience. But it shall be. 
God says, I begin with what is most important. And the most important question of all is, is it well with your soul? That's the most important question. And this is a reversal of the standards of our society. Because we are told, no, 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 the most important things are physical, physical after that, emotional, psychological. And once we dealt with those, then if you have any time to think about your spiritual condition, then maybe so. But the Bible says, no, the roots of sin, uh, roots of sickness and suffering are sin itself. God goes to the root of the problem. Before sin entered the world, there was no sickness, there was no suffering, there was no depression, oppression, suppression, compression, or any other pression that I can't think of right now. No, Jesus says, you've got to understand it. This is the purpose for which I came. More than anything else, more than the preaching, more than the teaching, more than the miracles, more than the acts of kindness, I came for this purpose to destroy the works of the evil one. And the work of the evil one is sin. And on the cross, Jesus said, this is the purpose for which I came into the world. People of God, let's get that secular thinking out of our heads and understand that God's word is true. Christ came to be our redeemer, to be our savior. Not just our lover, our friend, our helper, our social worker, our surrogate father. No, he came to set us free from the power and penalty of sin. There is forgiveness. Therefore you are feared. Know what a wonderful word fear is. There are two kinds of fear. There is fear which is mixed with torment. That's because of the guilt that's working in our lives. But perfect love casts out that fear. Then there is another kind of fear which is awesome respect. And you say, wow, awesome. Jesus is so awesome, so amazing. And that kind of fear, love casts it in. It's the kind of fear that we say, God, I respect you in every area of my life. I worship you. I bow the knee to you. Come into my life. Take over my life. Sometimes I mess it, blow it, double deluxe, mess it, double stvillo boss, purple stripe, blow it. But nevertheless, there is forgiveness with you. Therefore, I love you. He that has been forgiven much, love much. Don't let anybody turn their nose on your devotion to Christ. Don't let anybody turn their, turn, turn their nose down on you. And anything, let anybody judge you or condemn you. If Jesus says, I do not condemn you, go and sin no more. Nobody has a right to judge you or condemn you. That's the power of the blood of Jesus. Can I just say it in Swahili? Damugya Yesu Husufisha Kabisa. The blood of Jesus cleanses from sin completely. Kabisa. Everybody say Kabisa. Kabisa. Hallelujah. Completely. Amen. And so, we have to ask in closing, how do we receive this? How do we receive this? And uh, in order to answer that question, very briefly, I want you to think about this in two ways. Because there are two ways in which we have to approach this. First of all, when you become a Christian, all your sins are removed. Because when Jesus died 2,000 years ago, where were you? We weren't even born. How many sins had you committed 2,000 years ago? None. And yet the Bible says, on the cross, Jesus carried all our sins. So when Jesus died, all our sins are future. But when we believe in Jesus, the price that he pays is made good in our lives. Therefore, our past sins, our present sins, and even the sins we've not yet committed, because nobody is perfect. If you, if you think you can die perfect, you'll probably leave this planet quicker than you think. Because God will get you out of here. You're being so stupid. We know that we will always struggle with sin. We know we're not going to be perfect, but the point is, is that all our sins 
washed away. It's called justification. God declares you righteous. You, nobody can even lay a charge against you anymore. Satan can't even accuse you. He can't even charge you because there's no, no, nothing to answer for because Christ has paid the price and God has declared you not guilty. You are a not guilty person. This is your position in Christ. You think you're sitting? You're not sitting. You are standing in Christ today. That's your standing. Amen. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. Amen. But there's another aspect to this. In our daily walk with Jesus, you don't think you can just ignore sin in your life. Don't even think that. Let me tell you a story very quickly now. And that is, uh, suppose I had a son who's just now come of age to get his own driver's license. He's passed his test. He's come home with his test certificate and he's asking for the keys to the car. I say to you, well, let me tell you, there's some keys which are for you and round the corner there's a little mini car there second hand maybe third hand but it's there for you that's for you to practice on and that car that beautiful gleaming car that Jaguar roaring in the driveway is my car I don't I touch on my car you touch on my car you're in trouble with me okay <laughs> so I said okay you take your keys and enjoy yourself I'll see you in two hours. So, on the way out, he sneaks the Jaguar keys, get in the Jaguar car, and drives around like crazy and wraps the Jaguar around the lamppost. Two hours later, there's a knock at the door with a policeman. Next to the policeman is a young boy who looks remarkably like the man who was not supposed to be in a Jaguar. And he says, the policeman says, this young man has wrapped your Jaguar around the, around the lamppost. Is he your son? Now just for a moment you might want to say, I never have seen him in my life before. <laughs> but you know, you can't. He is your son. Yes, he's your son. Because he's done something disobedient, I mean badly disobedient. He doesn't stop him being my son, but it does mean he and I need to talk. Can you see that? Now in our talk, what I want him to acknowledge is, Dad, I was stupid. I disobeyed you. I'm sorry. I should never have done it. Please forgive me. My giving or receiving forgiveness, his giving, giving or receiving forgiveness does not determine whether he's my son, but it does determine if the issues between us are clear. And so that's why Jesus said that we should pray every day, forgive us our trespasses. Father, Father, as we forgive others who trespass against us. That's why we need to come before God and acknowledge our sin and say, talk the same language. Confessing sin means talk the same language. Talk the same language as God. When God talks about sin, He says several things. Number one, it's offensive to me. Number two, it's nailed to Christ. And number three, you should get rid of it out of your life. And so we come and say the same thing. God, this is offensive to you. I shouldn't have done it. But thank God, it is nailed to the cross. There is cleansing and forgiveness. And God, I turn away from it. That's the kind of ongoing forgiveness that we need to walk in as we have accepted Christ as our Savior. But the first step is to know that once for all eternal forgiveness, where God says, I make you my son, I bring you into my family, I wash you and cleanse you and declare you to be justified and righteous by faith, that's the first thing. And then we walk in that repentance and forgiveness and grace and faith for the rest of our life. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Please give me a couple more moments here today. Nobody moving around at all. I want to share with you a prayer in which you can ask Jesus to be your savior. Maybe you have never ever felt that you have been forgiven by God. Maybe you didn't understand it today. Maybe you've even prayed it before but didn't understand it today. But for these people who don't feel forgiven today, maybe you don't feel forgiven because you've not yet been forgiven by God. Maybe you've never asked God into your life and to say, God, forgive me. I turn my life over to you. Thank you for the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus and for his cleansing power and ask God for the cleansing of the blood of Jesus. Whoever you are, whatever your need is, over there in the coronet, downstairs, oh, in the overflow behind me, right across the internet network, wherever you are today, this is the prayer. I want you to pray if you want Christ in your life and do it, everybody, together, but it be especially for those who are praying for the first time. Here's the prayer. Are you ready? 
Are you ready? Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ. Pray it stronger than that. I come to you now. And I confess. That without you in my life. I'm a sinner. And lost eternally. But I thank you. That you came. And died. For my sin. And was raised again. That I might be declared. The righteous. Son and daughter. Of God. Therefore I invite you. Come into my life. Be my savior. Wash me from my sin. Let me stand pure in you. In Jesus name. Amen. And for every other person today who is saying, God, I need this ongoing forgiveness. You ask God to wash you and cleanse you according to his word today. Now if you prayed that prayer for the first time, I have something to give you. I want to put it in your hand. I'll ask the people here to do it. Which is information, more teaching, more understanding of what you've just done. If you've prayed that prayer for the very first time, every head bowed, every eye closed, this is our equivalent of bringing you to Jesus. It depends on you. If you want Christ in your life, lift your hand high and somebody will come and stand with you right now, quickly. Who's going to be the first to say, yes, I want Jesus in my life today, all over this place. Come on, lift your hand. If you know you've never prayed that prayer before, you need Christ in your life today. You don't want sin to dominate you any longer. You want to be forgiven. You want to receive God's free gift of forgiveness. Let's see your hand. Let's see your hand. Is there no one today who wants to accept Jesus? I cannot believe that. You've had the clearest exposition of a truth that will rescue you from the pit of hell to give you the pleasures of heaven. If that's you today, lift your hand high. Let me see. Amen, amen. Okay, well I'll take it uh, that this is your decision and you already know downstairs and that somebody's lifted their hand so go and stand with them. Thank you, God bless you. Downstairs, the low hall overflow behind me over there in the coronet online as well. It's the same. Father, bless these people who have responded. Let your Holy Spirit be with them. And we pray that you would fill us with such a spirit of compassion that we would spread this message of forgiveness which is totally unique to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to spread it everywhere you send us. In Jesus' mighty and wonderful name. Amen and amen. Give Jesus a mighty praise, everybody. God bless you.